This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. Praise God. All right, so here is the title of our message this morning. What believers ought to know about the Old Covenant. Now, the reason why I say that is because not every believer I have come to realize in, you know, just dealing with people, speaking with people, conversations, overhearing conversations, reading things on social media, not that I do that too often, but, you know, just watching conversations, YouTube clips, and I often hear things and preachers and I say to myself, you know, if only they knew. Now, I'm not saying that I know it all, but we've definitely taken off. Amen. And so we're on our journey. But this is why we've titled that message, What Believers Ought to Know. Yes, they're supposed to know this. But sadly, I find that many don't. And, you know, for myself, I received salvation in Jesus when I was only about 13 years old. And for decades, I was in an environment that taught a mixture of law and grace. And so that's all I ever knew. And praise God for that. I don't despise it, but I'm glad that I'm not there anymore. But I should have known. I wish someone had shared with me what I'm going to share with you today earlier on in my Christian walk. It would have, been, it would have made a difference. Now, God worked all things out for my good, as He does with you. And you know, I'm not going to live in regret. But I just wish that someone had shared this with me because I think my life would have been extremely different. And I mean that. And I'm sure that you agree with that as well. And so what I'm going to do uh, today is share with you something that blinds the minds and hearts of people. Not just believers, but people, even those who are seeking God. Even, even those who say they are believers and may not seem that way. I want to share with you something that scripture shows us that what it does is it blinds the minds and the hearts of people and you know i speak as one who you know in my bg days before grace days before i received the revelation of the wonderful grace of god which is really the gospel because that's what paul said paul the apostle but my mind too and my heart was blind blinded and praise god that someone shared with me that God found a way to reach out to me and show me the correct way. Show me how to divide the word of truth correctly. And my mind and my heart, the veil was removed and I could see what I needed to see. Amen. And so the thing is, is that this doesn't need to blind us. God didn't intend for us to be blinded, to be blocked, to be prevented from seeing this. It is religion. It is a mixture of law and grace teaching, legalistic teaching, in other words, that has done this to us. One of the illustrations that I can give you is, is that I remember when I was um, in my early 20s, uh, and I don't remember if Helena was with me or not, or if I was at a family function, but I know we were outside, and um, it started off as a beautiful, sunny, bright day. And we were going to have a barbecue, uh, braai as they call it in South Africa. And, you know, as a family, we were going to just enjoy each other's fellowship. And I've never been one to wear sunglasses too often. I know some people, the minute they walk out the door, they put on their sunglasses. In the car, they have their sunglasses on. And, 
it's not a problem. I've just never been one that got into the habit of doing that. I have sunglasses and I use them when I really feel I need to, but in general, I forget about them and I don't really use them. But this day, you know, the sun was out, it was bright, even though in the, on the weather forecast, they said that it would rain later on. And I didn't believe it, so, but anyway, so here I go and I put the sunglasses on, <laughs> one of the few times that I put it on, and there were these real dark tint glasses, but really good. I mean, it felt good to be on the, you know, outside, in a bright sunny day with these glasses on because I didn't have to strain my eyes or anything like that. And so here we are just chatting, fellowshipping. Before you know, <clears throat> it started getting cloudy, preparing for rain, and we did have rain not long after that, and it poured heavy. But what happened was this, is that even though it got cloudy, it wasn't as cloudy as I thought or as everyone else was saying it was. And I kept saying to everyone, I thought, you know, I said, man, it just got so dark and cloudy, so sudden, so quick. And they would look at me and think I'm crazy and like, okay. <laughs> and I honestly thought we were going to have some kind of weird thunderstorm or tornado or something because it had gotten so dark. And eventually, I remember my mom was there. Eventually, I made that comment to her. And she said to me, son, she says, you've got those dark sunglasses on. That's why, no wonder why everything looks so much darker to you. Take them off. I had forgotten that I had them on. <laughs> so everything looked way, way darker than it really was. And so the minute I took them off, well, yeah, it wasn't that bad. And it didn't look that bad. That's why nobody was rushing to go in or put anything away. And so, you know, I felt embarrassed and I felt silly. But this is the kind of thing that happens when people, when believers specifically, miss this point, miss what God shows us in Scripture about gospel truth and understanding gospel truth, and specifically what we should know about the Old Covenant, because that's what it will do. It will blind us, it will darken things, it will prevent us from seeing the way that we need to see. And so, Let's begin by looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, from the King James translation. Watch what it says. But we all, in other words, all believers, with open face, in other words, uncovered face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image <clears throat> from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, I know that that's a somewhat common portion of Scripture, but it's not always the easiest to understand because it's talking about us having an open face. In other words, nothing covers our face. And then it talks about looking at a glass, which is a mirror, and we see the glory of God. And then it says that as we see that, we are changed from glory to glory. In other words, the implication here is, is that there are some who have their faces covered. Now, it's not talking about your natural face. It's talking about your spiritual sight, if you will. You've been able to see spiritual truth. And when your face is covered, you won't see what you need to see, the mirror reflecting, which is the image of the Lord and what you are and who you are in Jesus. And as a result, you'll miss out on that. So you can see that there is a covering. It's talking about when it says an open face, it's talking about your face being uncovered or the mask, the veil being taken off. 
And um, so, in other words, whatever was once blinding us from seeing what we needed to see was removed, is what he's saying. And we can truly now live as we should. That's what he seems to be conveying in all of this. Now, to help us understand it even clearer, we are going to look at it from the Passion Translation. It will help us understand that portion better. Watch us now from the Passion Translation. <clears throat> I love the way it paraphrases it, and it's, it's pretty accurate from the original, I assure you that. Watch what he says here. We can all draw close to Him with the veil removed from our faces. See, there it is. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into His very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now leave that there for a moment. Watch some of those things and specifically what I've emboldened there. Notice he says that we draw close to the Lord Jesus in our relationship with Him, in our receiving redemption from Him, with the veil removed. So at some point, every person on earth needs to have this veil removed. And even though he's specifically also referring to, to believers here, he says we need to have this veil removed because when that veil is removed, we can truly reflect who we really are in Jesus. And also, we can then receive an appropriate and become more and experience more of who we truly are in Jesus. That's what he's saying. It's pretty powerful. Amen. So, there is something referred to as a veil in that portion. Right? And it says that it prevents a believer specifically from seeing who they really are in Jesus. It would be like me on that day with those dark glasses. It prevented me from seeing reality the way I really needed to see it. And this is in essence what Paul the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing here and what he's saying. Just because you're a believer, it doesn't mean that you have clear vision from seeing what you need to see about gospel truth and specifically about your identity and your inheritance in Jesus. He says you need to have that veil removed before you can truly see who you are and what you have in Jesus. So then we need to ask the question, what is that veil? What is he talking about? Now most people I think would say, well, it's probably sin. You know, because if there's sin in your life, it blinds you. And yes, it does to a degree. But that's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. And so in order for us to really truly catch and understand what he is saying, we need to look at the context. Now remember, I always say to you, if you really want to understand Scripture correctly, if you really want to make sure that you don't miss what God is saying, don't make a doctrine out of a verse. Make sure you read everything in context. Let the Bible interpret the Bible and look at everything through the finished work of the cross, right? And so that's what we're going to do. So what we are going to do is we're going to look at the immediate context of this portion. So we're going to look at verse, uh, verses 6 to 16. Uh, we could do more, but just because of time, that's what we're going to do. And those verses will give us the context and explain to us what that veil is, what it consists of, how it blinds people, why it blinds them, 
and how we can let it go and get rid of it so that we can enjoy what we have in Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let's begin by reading verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. We're going to go all the way through to 16. Okay, He alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused. Now remember, this is the context of what we've just read. He alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. So God makes us ministers of the new covenant. Notice it doesn't say He makes us ministers of the old covenant. It says He makes us ministers of the new covenant. Neither does it say that He makes us ministers of, the, of a mixture of the old and the new. It specifically says focused on an entirely new covenant. Now, does that mean that we ignore the Old Covenant? No. Does that mean that we disregard the Old Covenant? Of course not. But let's carry on reading, because he'll explain all that. He says, Our ministry is not based on the letter of the law, but through the power of the Spirit. So look at what he says next. First of all, he says, God makes me an effective minister, an adequate minister but that of the new covenant. And that's where my focus is. Then to qualify that, he says, my ministry is not based on the old covenant, the old covenant law. The law is the operating system of the old covenant. So he says, it's not based on that. He says, but the power of the Spirit, meaning the new covenant. Then he says, the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit pours out life. In other words, what he is saying is, is that God has called me to preach the new covenant. And he's the one who enables me. He's the one who empowers me. He's the one who gives me revelation and the ability to do so. And he says, and I stay focused on the new covenant. I don't focus on the old covenant. I don't base my ministry on the old covenant law, he says. But I do what I do is focus on the new, which is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he says, and the reason for that is because the old covenant law brings death. He says it kills. It's not talking about physical death. It's talking about spiritual death. And he says that's what the old covenant does. It brings spiritual death. What is spiritual death? Spiritual death is separation from God, alienation from God. He says, but the Spirit pours out life through the new covenant in context. We can conclude what he's saying here. He says that he didn't preach old covenant. His focus wasn't on the old covenant. He didn't focus, he didn't even blend all the new covenant. He didn't mix them. All he did was focus on the new covenant because he made it clear. He says the old covenant just brings spiritual death. I don't want to bring spiritual death. I want to bring spiritual life. And the new covenant does that. Now, I know that at this point, especially someone who's new may be thinking, it sounds like you guys are antinomians. And what an antinomian is, is someone who hates the law of God, disregards the law of God, and that's not what we are. We embrace the law for the reasons God gave the law. Amen. We have a message on our website about that. And so, but what I want to draw your attention to here is that this is the Apostle Paul. And he himself is making these points. And he's saying, I'm here for the new covenant, not for the old. The old brings spiritual death. It separates people from God. The new doesn't. It gives them 
life. Right? So that's what he says so far. Now let's continue with verse 7. He says then, remember this is all the context, even the ministry that was characterized by chiseled letters. Now you know that he's talking about the old covenant law because the Ten Commandments were the ones that were chiseled on stone. Chiseled letters on stone tablets came with a dazzling measure of glory, though it produced death. So what he's saying is, is that when God introduced the old covenant, when he gave it to Moses and the people said, yes, we want it, we want to live by it. He says, basically, it had a measure of glory. It didn't have the full glory of God. It had a measure of glory. And he says, because it produced death, spiritual death. Right? Then he says, the Israelites couldn't bear to gaze on the glowing face of Moses because of the radiant splendor shining from his countenance, a glory, watch this, destined to fade away. So he points out a few things there about the law. First of all, he clarifies that he's talking about the law of God. The Ten Commandments are the basis of the law of God. There's another 613 commandments around that. We see that in the first five books of the Bible. And so, but he's talking about the law of God. And he says it was edge on stone. Then he says, but nonetheless, it still produced separation from God. And he says, and it had a measure of glory. It didn't have full glory. And he says, but the glory was so much so that when Moses came down from the mountain, bringing the tablets of stone, the law of God, he's... The glory of God on him, on his countenance, on his face was so bright, so overwhelming that the people couldn't even look at him. So even me with my dark sunglasses wouldn't be able to look at Moses. It was so much so. And yet it says that that glory was by measure. It wasn't the full glory of God. So can you imagine that? And then it says, and part of the reason why Moses covered his face, he covered his face with a veil. Because he realized that that glory began to fade. And he didn't want them to see that it was fading. Because then they would lose commitment. They would lose hope and faith in this covenant. That's part of the reason why. And so he's painting the picture for us here. To help us understand what he's talking about here. And so <clears throat> uh, what I do want to highlight to you is that he once more says that produces death. It produces spiritual death. Now, why would anyone want to be under a covenant that produces spiritual death? I mean, if I said to you, God, you know, God has shown me this wonderful doctrine of the law and I'm going to preach it and you can expect to experience spiritual death and be ultimately eternally separated from God. How many of you would sign up? Even though you may see the glory on me, and you may experience the presence of God. How many of you would sign up and say, yes, sign me up. What are we going to call our church? The church of death <laughs> or something like that. No. And notice too that the glory would fade away. So clearly there was an expiry date on the old covenant. The cross was its expiry date. So we're not meant to hang on to it and try and keep trying to relate to God by it and trying to keep to live by it because we couldn't because all it would do is separate us from God more and more and eventually it would cause us to die spiritually and that's it would be done now who would want that 
No one in their right mind, right? And so, so far we see that believers are meant to be ministers of the new covenant. Yes? Not the old. Come on, somebody. Are you following? That's what it said, right? Then also, one reason is because God wants us imparting spiritual life, not spiritual death. True? Of course so. Another reason is because living under the law was never meant to be a permanent arrangement. Are you with me? That's what we've seen so far. We've seen that we're supposed to preach the new covenant, not the old. We're supposed to focus on the new. If anything, we, we meant to use the old to point to the new and then focus on the new. Then also, we're not supposed to be preaching spiritual death. In other words, if I somehow interpret scripture to, to be saying to you that if you do or if you don't do or if you avoid certain things, you're okay with God. But if you don't, then you're not okay with God and eventually you're going to lose your salvation and your righteousness. I'm preaching spiritual death. No matter how noble it may seem, how it may seem to motivate you for a little while, I'm actually preaching spiritual death. So if I convey a doctrine, a gospel that makes you insecure, that makes you doubt your salvation, makes you doubt Jesus and the finished work of the cross and its efficacy in your life, I'm preaching spiritual death. And that's what the law does. Because the law is all about thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And these curses will come upon you. And if you do, these blessings will come upon you. But then the minute you stop, the curses are right back. That's spiritual death. Wouldn't you agree? And the other thing too is, is that the law, living by law, the old covenant was never meant to be a permanent arrangement. Because the glory faded even in Moses' time. Right? That's what he has said to us so far. So now, watch what happens when we follow God's plan and purpose in that regard. So he continues. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 8 and 9 now. Watch us. Yet, how much more radiant is the new and glorious ministry of the Spirit that shines from us. So he's talking about the new covenant. Can you see that? He says, it shines from us. Then it says, for if the former, notice, former ministry of condemnation was ushered in with a measure of glory, how much more does the ministry that imparts righteousness far excel in glory? There are so many things there about the new and the old covenant because he's literally contrasting the two. But really with the point of making, you know, with him making the point that we're not supposed to be ministers of the old covenant. But watch there, for example, what he says. He says that the glory of the new covenant shines through us, through the Spirit of God. And then he refers to the old covenant as the former ministry. And he refers to it as a ministry of condemnation. In other words, all it does is it condemns you. It doesn't encourage you. It doesn't show you good things about you, right? He says it was us with a measure of glory. How much more does the ministry that imparts righteousness for excelling glory? In other words, the new covenant imparts the righteousness of God to us. The old doesn't, right? Yeah. It always shows us how unrighteous we are. And so what he's doing is he's showing us the parallel between the two and how the one brings spiritual death, how the other one brings spiritual life. 
how the one imparts the righteousness of God to us and how the other one keeps demanding righteousness but does nothing to help you be righteous. When he says the former, what that means is, is that it fulfilled a particular role before, but it no longer does. That's why it's called the former, and he calls it that, right? So the new covenant, on the other hand, imparts the righteousness of God to us. He showed us that. So the old, as I said, demands righteousness from an unrighteous people, whereas the new imparts righteousness to an otherwise unrighteous people. And that's why its glory is far superior than the old. Amen. Now, let's continue. 2 Corinthians 3, verse, uh, verses 10 to 12. What once was glorious, see there it is. It was glorious, it no longer is glorious. No longer holds any glory. Look at that. There's no glory. And he, when he wrote this, it was in the early days of the church, after Jesus. And he says then that the old covenant was glorious and it, longer hold, it no longer holds any glory. So how is it today for us? It's the same. Because of the increasingly greater glory that has replaced it. Can you see the old covenant was replaced by the new covenant? And you know, if for any reason you want to argue about translations, go read it in any translation. It's saying the same thing. And so he says that the new replaced the old. That's why there are two covenants. That's why the cross made a distinction between the two. Because the cross basically nullified, brought to an end the old covenant and introduced the new covenant, right? So it was replaced. So why would you want to hold on to something that has been replaced? Then it says, the fading ministry, which came with a portion of glory, but now we embrace the un fading ministry of a permanent impartation of glory. So the new covenant is never going to lose its glory, unlike the old. So then, with this amazing hope living in us through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, isn't that powerful? We step out in freedom and boldness to speak the truth. So basically what Paul does in that next portion is he explains to us in what we've just read. He explains to us why he focuses only on the new covenant. And he qualifies it. He says the old was there for a time. God put it there for a time. But it was destined to come to an end. It was destined to have its glory fade away. It was destined to no longer be the way that people should relate to God by. It was destined not to be there as a permanent covenant. Right? And he says... We have something far superior, far greater, which is the new. And that's what we should be focusing on, what we should be preaching, because that's where we live and that's where we should be experiencing and living. It is freeing and it makes us bold in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Powerful, powerful stuff. So some of the things that we see in that portion is, is that there is no longer any glory in the old covenant. Right? Because it's expired. Or you could put it this way. If it's, it says it's been replaced. In other words, it is no longer applicable. In other words, people can no longer truly relate to God by it. At the end of the day, we're not meant to be living by the law. We're not meant to be relating to God by law. Right? And besides that, 
if you look at the five books of first five books of the Bible, no one back then truly lived and fulfilled it 100%. How much more today? Now, besides that, because it's a perfect standard, and no imperfect pe person can fulfill a perfect standard, so it's impossible. James says you break one, you break them all, right? But besides that, why would you want to go back to a system that was a type and a shadow of the real? Why would you want and prefer animal sacrifices for your sin instead of the sacrifice of Jesus himself for your sin? Don't you agree? I mean, that sounds like blasphemy, doesn't it? This is why Paul the Apostle was so passionate about that. And so we see that the old covenant was replaced by the new. We saw that and we read that. So I like the old covenant. The glory and hope of the new lives on on the inside of us. Praise God. Amen. We don't have to wonder if we're good enough or if we measure up. Because in Jesus, we are and we do. Those are all the points that the Apostle Paul is making in all that he said so far. Now, let's continue. Verse 13. Remember, this is all part of the context about the veil. Now he's going to explain the veil, what it is. Okay? So he's told us what it does. He's told us how it affects people, how it affects believers specifically. Now he's going to tell us what the veil is. He says, We are not like Moses, who used a veil to hide the glory, to keep the Israelites from staring at him as it faded away. So Moses put on a veil because he didn't want them to see the glory was fading because he wanted to keep them committed. And isn't that what we see in many ministries today? They put on this legalistic, we are fulfilling the law thing, so you better fulfill it too. But really, there's no glory behind that veil. In other words, also what he's saying is, is that we don't have to fear that what we are and what we have in the new covenant will fade away or be lost. Isn't that the point he's trying to make? Of course, because we have it in Jesus once for all time. Praise God. We don't have to pretend that the glory we have in Jesus is unfading because it's not. It's never going to fade. Amen. So verse 14. Watch what he says. Their minds were closed and hardened. For even to this day, that same veil comes over their minds, watch this, when they hear the words of the former covenant. The veil has not yet been lifted from them, for it is only eliminated when one is joined to the Messiah. What powerful statements. Let's leave that there for a moment and talk about some of those for a moment. Notice he says that veil comes over people, over their minds, when all they hear is the old covenant. When all they hear is teaching of law. Right? He says a veil comes over them and it is impossible to remove it, to eliminate it. So it's meant to be eliminated right, from a person's life, it can only be eliminated when they realize who they are and what they have in Jesus. And they can only realize that in the new covenant, right? 
So we see from that very clearly that what the effects of living under the law relating to God by old covenant law, by the old covenant, is what it does is it closes one's mind and it makes their mind hard, their heart hard. This is why I say to you, I wish that someone had shared this with me way sooner than when God shared it with me. Because I think my heart was hard. I mean, I think about it. God actually did try and reach to me, reach out to me many times throughout my Christian journey when I was under that environment. People would come and go. I mean, I remember this one pharmacist, I think he was at the time. He came and he tried to speak to me about uh, the gospel of grace. And I just, just shut him out the minute I heard some of it. I told him that it was heresy. Then someone else tried to tell me about you know, Andrew Warmack and Joseph Prince. And I said, oh, those once saved, always saved preachers. And I shut it out. And someone else tried to reach out to me. And I would just shut it up because I was just so blinded and veiled by a mixture of law and grace and really old covenant. For me, it was all about performance. It wasn't about grace. And it's sad because, and praise God that God didn't stop and didn't give up. Now, some of you, this is all you've known. Praise God for that. Amen. So, biblically speaking, a veiled mind is a mind that is blinded to the truth and to the reality of the new covenant. Right? That's what the veil is. And it comes from the law. So, clearly we also see that, that it is God's desire for us to live and relate to Him without the influence or dominance of the old covenant. Specifically, the law. Right? He, warned, he actually wants us relating to Him by grace, not law. So it's only when one embraces the new covenant completely do they truly embrace and experience redemption in Jesus as God intended. Isn't that so? I mean, that's what we see there. So the veil of the old covenant can only be removed in Jesus. So really, at the end of the day, what Paul is saying is, it's Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus plus the old covenant. It's not G and, and I know people have tried to make the law manageable. They say, well, yes, there's the rituals and there's the civil and there's the moral. We do some of the civil, but really the moral still stands. God never divides it that way. <laughs> you won't find any scripture to back up and say, this is moral, this is civil, this is that. Now, New Covenant believers should only hang on to the moral and some of the civil. You won't find that because it's not the case. Anyway, let's carry on and continue with our portion. Let's now read verse 15 and 16. So remember, this is all still context. So until now, he says, whenever the Old Testament is being read, the same blinding comes over their hearts. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Did you see that? He says, in his time, which is not many years after the cross, a few decades probably, he says, whenever the old covenant is read, the same blinding comes over their hearts. So you see, what you see there is, is that the old covenant still has the same effect on people even today. You meditate and you get indoctrinated by old covenant doctrine only, by the old covenant, by living under law only, and it will still have the same effect. It will blind your heart. A veil will come over your mind 
and you will not see what you need to see about who you are and what you have in Jesus. See that? But then it goes on in verse 16 and it says, But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Let's just read some portions because we're out of time. But let's just read some portions here that back up a lot of what I said today. Let's begin with um, Acts 13 verse 39 from the New Living Translation. It says, everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight. See, you are made right. You don't need to become right. You are made right. Something, watch this, the law of Moses could never do. Why would you want to relate to God by law when it can never make you righteous? It can never impart righteousness to you. Makes no sense, right? There's another good reason. Romans 3 verse 20 from the Passion Translation. For by the merit of observing the law, no one earns the status of being declared righteous before God. For it is the law that fully exposes and unmasks the reality of sin. So that's what the law was designed to do. And that's why we embrace the law. Because if anything... The law helps us appreciate and see the wonderful grace that we have in Jesus. The wonderful forgiveness that we have in Jesus. Because the law shows us how we fell and how we come short. And it helps us and points us to the wonderful Savior, Jesus, and the finished work of the cross. Amen. But yet some people will rather hang on to the sign than to the one, than hang on to the one who the sign points to. Sad, isn't it? Galatians 3 verse 20. Here's another one from the Passion. The law becomes a gateway to lead us to the Messiah so that we would be saved by faith. Notice, not by merit or performance or by fulfilling the law, but that it would be saved by faith. Can you see that? So if anything, why should you embrace the law in the Old Covenant? Because it's the gateway that leads you to Jesus. And that's why today we still embrace it for that reason. Because it always helps us appreciate and see this is the type and shadow. This is how it's a gateway and it points us to Jesus. Now let's look at the reality of Jesus and realize that we live in that reality. Amen. You see, by doing that, we have no veil to be concerned about. We don't have to be concerned about spiritual death. We don't have to be concerned about being condemned. Because that's what the new covenant is. Amen. Here's the last one. Um, Galatians 5 verse 4. New Living Translation. For if you, talking to believers, for if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, in other words, by hanging on to the old covenant way of relating to God, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. In other words, what is the opposite of law? Grace. Right? And it says very clearly that grace is at a higher place than law. Because you cannot fall upwards. You can only fall downwards. And it says grace is higher. And so when you embrace law again in Old Covenant, you fall from your higher place. That's what this is saying. Right? 
And then it says that you alienate yourself from Jesus. Why? Because you're now looking at the type and shadow instead of the real, which is Him. So that's all of the stuff that the Lord does to someone who chooses to relate to God that way. And this is what we so wish that every believer knew and understood. Amen. Just these basic, simple truths. And we pray that this, this gospel truth, this message, gets out more and more and touches more and more people's lives. Amen. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.